In the beginning, Elohim created heaven and earth. Is there only one God in the Bible? Greetings, mortals. I'm your host, Simon. Welcome back to the Library of Gnosis. So, Elohim created humans in his image. In the image of Elohim, he created them. He created them male and female. Genesis 1.28 Now, that is the original Hebrew verse from Scripture. Elohim has commonly been translated to God in our modern Bibles. But that is a mistranslation. The Hebrew word Elohim is a plural word, meaning gods, not God. El would be singular. Then Elohim said, Let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the domesticated animals all over the earth, and the animals that crawl on the earth. You can see here how Elohim is being used with a plural connotation. Also, for example, from Genesis. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. For instance, in Psalm 82, God assembles a divine council and renders judgment on them. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment amongst the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals, and you will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all nations are your inheritance. Rendering judgments amongst the gods? What is this divine council? And who are these other gods? Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Exodus 15:11. These gods don't always seem to get along either, and are often seen dividing the spoils of their conquests. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, 
and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Exodus 12, 12. So Jacob said to his household and to all whom were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Genesis 35.2 When Elion gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the people according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. For Yahweh's portion was his people, Jacob was the lot of his inheritance. Deuteronomy 32.8 Here Elion can be seen giving the nations their inheritance, with Yahweh having a split of it. But wait, who is Elion? Elion is an epithet of the God of the Israelites in the Hebrew Bible. El or Elion is usually rendered in English as God Most High. So he's the highest amongst the gods. Well, wait a minute. Then who is Yahweh? Well, in the Western world, Yahweh is conflated to be the name of the Christian God. But is there more to the story? How much do we really know about our Father in the sky? Well, Yahweh was the national God of the Kingdom of Israel and Judah. His origins reach at least to the early Iron Age. In the oldest biblical literature, he is the storm and warrior deity, drawing parallels to the Greek god Zeus or the Sumerian. And Lil. It is he who leads the heavenly army against Israel's enemies. At that time, Israelites worshipped Yahweh alongside a variety of Canaanite gods and goddesses, including El, Asherah, and Baal. But in time, El and Yahweh became conflated. El-linked epithets such as El-Shahadai came to be applied to Yahweh alone, and the other gods and goddesses such as Baal and Asherah were absorbed into the Yahwistic religion. In fact, there is a whole list of ancient Canaanite gods and goddesses on Wikipedia. On this list we find for instance El, who is described as a god of creation, husband of Asherah. Yahweh is of course also included on this list. But we find more interesting names too. For instance Anu, who is the divine purification of the sky, the supreme god and the ancestor of all deities in ancient Mesopotamian religion. The fact that all these names appear in scripture 
shows that there is a connection between modern Christian Bible and the much older Sumerian cosmology whose pantheon it seems to draw upon. The God of the Bible can be described as being quite a bipolar being. One minute causing a flood to devastate the lands and wipe humanity out, but before that he had apparently warned Noah to build a boat. The Sumerian account tells the exact same story, just a more complex version. This we find in the story of Utnapishtim. I'll be reading from Tablet 11 from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Utnapishtim tells Gilgamesh a secret story that begins in the old city of Shurupak on the banks of the Euphrates River. The great gods Anu, Enlil, Inurrutta, Ennugi and Ea were sworn to secrecy about their plan to cause the flood. But the god Ea, Sumerian god Enki, repeated the plan to Utnapishtim through a reed wall in a reed house. Ea commanded Utnapishtim to demolish his house and build a boat, regardless of the cost, to keep living beings alive. The boat must have equal dimensions with corresponding width and length, and be covered over like Apsu boats. Yudnapishtim promised to do what Ea commanded. He asked Ea what he should say to the city elders and the population. Ea tells him to say that Enlil has rejected him, and he can no longer reside in the city or set foot in Enlil's territory. He should also say that he will go down to the Absu to quote, live with my lord Ea. Note, Absu can refer to a freshwater marsh near the temple of Ea at the city of Eridu. Carpenters, reed workers and other people assembled one morning. Five days later, Utnapishtim laid out the exterior wall of the boat of 120 cubits. The sides of the superstructure had equal lengths of 120 cubits. He also made a drawing of the interior structure. The boat had six decks divided into seven and nine compartments. Water plugs were driven into the middle port. Punting poles and other necessary things were laid in. Three times 3,600 units of raw bitumen were melted in a kiln and three times 3,600 units of oil were used in addition to two times 3,600 units of oil that were stored in the boats. Oxen and sheep were slaughtered and ale, beer, oil and wine were distributed to the workmen. Like a New Year's festival. When the boat was finished, the launch was very difficult. A runway of poles were used to slide the boat into the water. 
Two-thirds of the boat was in the water. Utnapishtim loaded his silver and gold into the boat. He loaded, quote, all the living beings that I had, his relatives and craftsmen, and all the beasts and animals of the field boarded the boat. The time arrived, as stated by the god Samash, to seal the entry door. Early in the morning at dawn, a black cloud arose from the horizon. The weather was frightful. Utnapishtim boarded the boat and entrusted the boat and its contents to his boatmaster, Pushura Mauri, who sealed the entry. The thunder god, Hadad, rumbled in the cloud, and storm gods, Shular and Hanish, went over the mountains and land. Aragal pulled out the mooring poles, and the dikes were overflooded. The Anunnaki gods lit up the land with their lightning. There was stunned shock at Adada's deeds, which turned everything into blackness. The land was shattered like a pot. All day long the south wind blew rapidly, and the water overwhelmed the people like an attack. No one could see his fellows. They could not recognize each other in the torrent. The gods were frightened by the flood and retreated up to the Anu heaven. They cowered like dogs lying by the outer wall. Ishtar shrieked like a woman in childbirth. The mistress of the gods wailed that the days of old had turned to clay because, quote, I said evil things in the assembly of gods, ordering a catastrophe to destroy my people, who fill the sea like fish. The other gods were weeping with her, and sat sobbing with grief, their lips burning, parched with thirst. The flood and wind lasted six days and six nights flattening the land. On the seventh day, the storm was pounding like a woman in labor. The sea calmed and the whirlwind and flood stopped. All day long there was quiet. All humans had turned to clay. The terrain was as flat as a rooftop. Utnapishtim opened the window and felt fresh air on his face. He fell to his knees and sat weeping, tears streaming down his face. He looked for coastlines at the horizon and saw a region of land. The boat lodged firmly on Mount Nimush which held the boat for several days, allowing no swaying. On the seventh day, he released a dove that flew away, but came back to him. 
He released a swallow, but it also came back to him. He released a raven, which was able to eat and scratch, and did not circle back to the boat. He sent his livestock out in various directions. He sacrificed a sheep and offered incense at the mountains of Shigurat, where he placed 14 sacrificial vessels and poured reeds, cedar and myrtle into the fire. The gods smelled the sweet odor of the sacrificial animal and gathered like flies over the sacrifice. Then the great goddess arrived, lifted up her flies and said, Ye gods, as surely as I shall not forget this lapis lazuli, amulet around my neck, I shall be mindful of these days and never forget them. The gods may come to the sacrificial offering, but Enlil may not come, because he brought about the flood and annihilated my people without considering the consequences. When Enlil arrived, he saw the boat and became furious at the Ajiji gods. He said, where did a living being escape? No man was to survive the annihilation. Ninurta spoke to Enlil, saying, Who else but Ea could do such a thing? It is Ea who knew all of our plans. Ea spoke to Enlil, saying, It was you, the sage of the gods. How could you bring about a flood without consideration. Ea then accuses Enlil of sending disproportionate punishment and reminds him of the need for compassion. Ea denies leaking the gods' secret plan to Adrahasis or Yudnapishtim, admitting only sending him a dream and deflecting Enlil's attention to the Flood Hero. Enlil then boards a boat, grasping Yudnapishtim's hand, helps him and his wife aboard where they kneel. Standing between Yudnapishtim and his wife, he touches their foreheads and blesses them. Formerly, Yudnapishtim was a human being, but now he and his wife have become gods like us. Let Yudnapishtim reside far away at the mouth of the rivers. Yudnapishtim and his wife are transported and settled at the mouth of the rivers. Now this explains the Christian God's contradictory nature. Because there is more than one party involved, Enlil and Enki, Yahweh and the serpent. We find Enki linked to the Brotherhood of the Serpents, which is a supposedly ancient secret society formed in the snake-filled marshlands of ancient Mesopotamia by Anu and the secret knowledge he communicated to his son, Enki. 
The Brotherhood was supposedly formed to help humanity and to give them knowledge, gnosis. Listen to my broadcast on the Tree of Life and the Serpent to get more information on the connection between the Serpent and the Garden of Eden and Enki. And God commanded the humans, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows on the day that you eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The snake gave humanity knowledge, gnosis. Here the snake is blamed and vilified. But in Matthew 10.16, the snake's wisdom is highlighted. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In the Gospel of John 3.14-15, Jesus makes direct comparison between the raising up of the Son of Man and the act of Moses in raising up the serpent as a sign, using it as a symbol associated with Salvation. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The image of the serpent as the embodiment of the wisdom transmitted by Sophia was an emblem used by Gnostics especially those sects that the more orthodox characterized as Orphites, serpent people. The Contic serpent was one of the earth animals associated with the cult of Mithras. We find this story once again in the Sumerian poem, the Epic of Gilgamesh and his quest for immortality. Here is a short excerpt from the epic. Utnapishtim, the closest to Gilgamesh, a thing that is hidden. He informs Gilgamesh that there is a plant, like a box thorn, whose thorns will prick your hands like a rose. If your hands reach the plant, you will become a young man again. The plant Utnapishtim was speaking of is located at the bottom of the sea, so Gilgamesh attaches heavy stones to his feet in order to reach the seabed and obtain the plant. He planned on testing the plant's renewing potential by testing it on an old man on return to Uruk, but sadly for Gilgamesh, as he stopped at a spring to bathe, the snake smelled the fragrance of the plant and stole it, shedding its skin as it departed. Once again the snake is blamed. But what is funny is that all snakes are carnivores. They do not eat plants. And since when do snakes steal plants? No, this is symbolic. In Greek mythology, we find Asclepius, 
the son of Apollos and Coronis, who learned the secrets of keeping death at bay after observing one serpent bringing another serpent, which Asclepius himself had fatally wounded, back to life with healing herbs. To prevent the entire human race from becoming immortal under Asclepius' care, Zeus killed him with a bolt of lightning. As I mentioned before, Zeus and Yahweh may stem from the same source, and Lil, as all of them were storm gods. As we can see, the Christian Bible is actually a monotheistic version of the Sumerian tales, where different gods have been conflated together to suit the church authorities' agenda. You can actually carefully trace how different gods have been translated out of the Bible, with plural words like Elohim being translated to the singular God in the modern English Bible. Yet, thankfully, the original texts remain in the older Hebrew Bible. Thank you for listening. See you next time, mortal. Subscribe for more, give it a like if you enjoyed it, and feel free to share it. If you want to support my work, you can find me on Patreon at Library of Gnosis. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and BitChute at Library of Gnosis. The audio versions of my broadcasts are available on Spotify as a podcast at Library of Gnosis. Music is produced by Coda from Coded.music. Link available in the description.